Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. Uh, welcome to another episode of For the Love of Film podcast. Um, you'll notice there's background noise again. I've, the last couple episodes have been in such a nice fidelity. I recorded them in a room with no background noise that, um, you know, I was shocking Duncan, the producer of our podcast network, so I figured I would, uh, you know, bring him back to the old school way and record this while I'm driving. Um, just kidding. That's actually just out of necessity. Again, I'm driving from Peabody, Massachusetts to Exeter, New Hampshire to record another episode of the um, News of Our Demise podcast. And I, you know, every week when I'm doing one of these episodes, I swear I'm going to get it in. Just pick a half an hour um, in my week to just sit down and record this beforehand so I don't have to do it while I'm driving. And then Almost every week, I'm so chock full of stuff that uh, this ends up being when I record it. So I appreciate all of you who put up with the uh, shenanigans and the the uh, compromised sound quality and listen to this podcast. Anyways, I I will try and do better. Um, I always try and do better, but you know sometimes I don't try hard enough, and sometimes I just got too much stuff going on. Uh, this week, I'm actually going to talk about three movies I saw in the theater. It's crazy, right? Uh, so I'm going to talk about five movies altogether, but three that I saw in the theater, one that I uh, that was a Netflix original that I watched, and then uh, another film in the River Phoenix filmography. Um, first, I, I just want to give a little, little note. Uh, it is uh, uh, May 5th, and... Uh, couple days ago, three days ago now, we learned of the passing of Peter May, who the actor who played Chewbacca in five Star Wars films. Uh, you know, he originated the role, and uh, he he played it in the original trilogy. He played Chewbacca in Star Wars Episode Three, and he played Chewbacca in The Force Awakens, and then uh, he retired. But um, very sad. Uh, that one hit me. Harder than I was expecting. I mean, I'm at the point, you know, the, the, the original film, A New Hope, a.k.a. just Star Wars up until, you know, they decided to give it the name A New Hope. Um, but uh, that came out in 77, so 42 years ago. So, you know, the original cast now is starting to be of that age where it's not crazy for them to start passing away. You know, Carrie Fisher's passing several years ago uh, was really sad. Uh, as well, but um, yeah, I think going forward, um, you know, certainly when Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford pass, it will be uh, um, difficult as well, just because I grew up on Star Wars. But um, you know, I, I I will say, while I was sad, Kenny Baker passed away, the actor who portrayed R two D two. It didn't have the same impact on me, but. I don't know, there was such an intangible thing about Chewbacca that, uh, you know, I think everyone just loved Chewbacca, anyone who's a Star Wars fan, but also people who are Fairweather Star Wars fans. Uh, there's just something about him that, you know, he's the combination of, like, uh, your family dog and also the best bodyguard you could ever have and the best friend kind of all rolled into one that uh, everyone loved. Chewbacca, so, uh, and thanks in no small part to 
Peter Mayhew's performance because uh, it's it's a you know it's a silent role for him. I mean, yes, Chewbacca makes noise. Peter Mayhew does not provide the voice of him. That's all done in post. So giving Chewbacca his humanity. Yes, I know he's not a human. I know he's a Wookiee, and uh, but uh, uh, you know Peter Mayhew's uh, acting through his body gave. Chewbacca, his character and his humanity, and was really sort of the the heart of the the saga. So very sad, Peter Mayhew was gone. Uh, but thank you very much, sir, for everything that you contributed to that saga. So um, the movies I'm going to talk about this week are Avengers Endgame, which it's going to be a spoiler free uh, review. Um, so Avengers Endgame, Missing Link, uh, uh, Longshot, uh, Paddleton, and then Dogfight. So I will say, you know, uh, the uh, Avengers Endgame, it, it, this will be spoiler-free, so it's going to be a little bit difficult to talk about because there's a lot of stuff that could be spoilers in there. But uh, like I said, today is May 5th. Um, it, it just surpassed Titanic to be the second highest grossing film of all time uh, it's already done I believe it's 2.19 billion dollars that's billion with a B uh, in you know it's been out for 10 days now um, I do ha- have a friendly wager with Greg Gaskell uh, who is a, a frequent guest on this podcast he thinks that it will beat Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker by at least 500 million and that it will receive an Oscar nomination for Best Picture I I will say on this podcast there is a possibility I, I believe there's a possibility it could beat The Rise of Skywalker by 500 million but uh, I don't think it's going to get a Best Picture nomination but we won't know until February of next year so you know a good uh good nine months from now, but, uh, the winner has to buy, or the, the loser has to buy the winner a bowl of chili at Betty's Kitchen in Northampton, New Hampshire, a, uh, favorite breakfast spot above us. So anyway, that's, that's where we're at with Avengers Endgame and the little friendly wager. I, I firmly believe that in the next week, Avengers will overtake Avatar as the highest grossing film of all time and you know of the I was looking at the list of the 10 highest grossing films of all time earlier today and almost all of them have come out uh, with the exception of the number one and number two spots as of earlier today which were Avatar and Titanic they were they all have come out within the last five years and I think part of that's just the increase in uh cost of tickets you know because they're doing it by actual dollars not adjusted for inflation because it's almost impossible to tell you know actual grosses for movies going back to the 30s and 40s but um, yeah I think it, I think it's going to be Avatar but I also don't know what on the horizon could possibly beat this uh, Avengers Endgame is a huge spectacle of a film it's it's three hours long, and, uh, you know, it's crazy because still looking at theaters everywhere, 
there's showings starting at 10 a.m. and going till midnight, and it's still, you know, it's going strong. I think it's going to be playing for a while. Um, you know, it was, it was great. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I've had conversations with a lot of other people who have seen it. I don't think it's necessarily a better film than Avengers Infinity War. Um, I'll even say I don't necessarily think it's a great film. It's a, it's good. It's not great, but I enjoy it thoroughly. It's, uh, you know, it's the 22nd film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You don't have to have seen all of the previous films in order to like it, but it really pays off in dividends uh, for a lot of them. There's callbacks to a lot of the other films. Uh, This is not really a a spoiler, uh, but there is a time travel element to the... uh, to the film, so, you know, there are characters that pop back into scenes that we've already seen from previous Marvel Cinematic Universe films, and that's a lot of fun. Uh, and there's, you know, characters that return. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's a lot of fun. It's exciting. Even though it's three hours, it really doesn't... It, it, it kind of just whips by. It's it's got a, It goes by at a pretty steady clip uh, for the entirety of it. The, the end of it, the, it, it is a little long... Uh, it's much like uh, the Return of the King, the third in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings films. That uh, there's like six endings in that, and there's a, probably six or seven endings at the end of Avengers Endgame. But it does wrap up a lot of stories. You know, uh, some of these characters, some of the characters that we've seen for the last decade, um, their stories end with this film in various ways. And you know, I'm not gonna say who, but. Uh, you know, some of them caught me off guard. Some of them surprised me. Some of them it made sense, but you know, this sort of puts a bow on the cinematic uni- the Marvel Cinematic Universe thus far. Are they going to keep making Marvel movies? Of course, um, but I don't know if they're going to. You know, I don't think they're going to be able to keep upping the ante like this. Um, you know, maybe eventually in ten years if they do another you know, decade-long saga, they'll they'll do another kind of end cap, but there's, you know, there's so many characters in this film that um, I'm looking forward to the next few Marvel movies where they're going to be smaller stories, hopefully, where focusing on, you know, five or six characters at, at most, where, you know, this, you know, there's at least a dozen characters, but I think there's even more than that, um, so many Avengers, you know, the first Avengers film, there was six, and, you know, because of the events of Infinity War, you know, there are some people that aren't around at the beginning of this film, and, um, you know, but there are a lot of Avengers and Avengers allies that, uh, that, uh, come into play, and it does a really good job of juggling all of the characters and giving them all screen time. The thing I think that really impressed me the most was with this film is just the universal, uh, exceptional performances by so many people in the cast. Um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is populated with a lot of excellent actors anyways, but, uh, really just top-notch performances by so many people in the cast. You know, in particular, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, um, 
Paul Rudd, actually, um, you know, I, I haven't seen, I, a lot of the reviews are talking about how good everyone's performances are, but Paul Rudd's a character that hasn't been called out specifically, but um, uh, I felt that he gave a lot of depth and sincerity to the character of Scott Lang that we hadn't seen yet before in the two Ant-Man films and, you know, Captain America, Civil War, and, that he had previously appeared in. Uh, Karen Gillan, uh, who plays Nebula, gives a really strong performance in this. Um, Scarlett Johansson was great. Uh, it just, just phenomenal performances. I, I, I don't know. I'd be surprised if any of these actors get Oscar nominations for their performances. I mean, right now the only actor who's ever won an Academy Award for a comic book film was Heath Ledger's posthumous Best Supporting Actor Oscar for uh, The Dark Knight. But who knows? Uh, I I do think this film is going to change probably for the better and for the worse the way big blockbuster movies are done. And it might change some other stuff as well. But yeah, it, if you like... If you like Marvel Cinematic movies, you've probably already seen this. Um, if you're not a big comic book fan, I, I can't really say that you should dive into this because there's so much that you really need to already know about the other ones. I mean, I, I'd be interested to hear from someone who maybe saw this and hadn't seen all of the previous films or any of the previous films and see how they enjoyed it, how it held up as a film. But, um, yeah, as it stands, being a Marvel Cinematic fan, I loved it. I would, you know, I would give it nine out of ten. Uh, it was, it was great. Um, I'm, I'm planning on seeing it again this week, and you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure a lot of people have seen it multiple times. Uh, the next movie I saw was Missing Link, which is an animated film by the studio Leica Entertainment. You know, um, they did Kubo and the Two Strings, which I reviewed earlier this year. Um, they did the Box Trolls. They did Coraline. Um, they do stop motion animation, and I really like what they do. I, having said that, this movie was—it wasn't bad. It was just disappointing. Um, you know, the animation looked great, but uh, something about the story just felt very rote and not captivating. You know, it is—it is aimed at a younger audience. Uh, it's, it's Hugh Jackman voices, a, a explorer who looks for unknown creatures in the world, cryptids, if you will, and comes across Bigfoot voiced by Zach Galifianakis and, um, decides to help him try and get to the Himalayas to where there's a rumored lost city of Yeti that live there and who are, distant relatives of Bigfoot and um, along the way Zoe Saldana joins them. Uh, she plays the the widow of one of Hugh Jackman's characters uh, partners and uh, you know and of, of course there's a, a pair of antagonists trying to stop them but I don't know just something about it the the um the story was just kind of wrote, like, I knew from the beginning what the beats in the movie were going to be. It was fairly predictable. 
you know, it was innocuous. It was fun. If you have young children, it's certainly something that they will enjoy. Uh, it, you know, it, it promotes, um, you know, sticking up for others and, uh, uh, being happy with who you're with and, you know, kind of building your own family, those sort sort of ideals, but yeah, just kind of a so-so movie. I was disappointed. I was really hoping it was going to be another fantastic film from Leica, and it wasn't. It was just a so-so film. Uh, you know, I, I would give Missing Link a 6 out of 10. Um, the next movie I saw is Long Shot, which uh, it was after I saw it, and I was telling some people about what I saw, it, it was really hard for me to remember the name, which you know, it's such a nondescript name. That's one of the things with movies that, uh, there's a lot of movies that have a title that just don't stick out. It doesn't really mean anything. Um, it's sort of an insinuation about the film, which isn't in explored in the film itself. You know, it could be, uh, referring to the, the female character played by Charlize Theron, who's going to be running for president and uh, hoping to become the first female U.S. president, uh, you know, the, the, the long shot of her winning, or it could be uh, Seth Rogen, who plays a reporter who ends up writing for her, but, that are, you know, they end up having a romance. It could be insinuating that their romance, you know, it's a long shot that she would get with him, but uh, neither one of those is completely accurate for the tone of the film. This movie, uh, I wasn't, uh, I hadn't seen a trailer for it, you know, I know some people had seen trailers, but I hadn't. But uh, I went just based on uh, liking both of the leads. Uh, I'd, I'd say I like Charlize Theron a little bit more than uh, I like Seth Rogen. But, um, you know, I, I heard about it because they were both guests on an episode of a podcast that I listened to, the How Did This Get Made episode, or How Did This Get Made podcast, and they were both on it and... I didn't realize at the time the reason they were on it was to sort of promote this because they didn't really talk about this movie, but that's why they were there. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a romantic comedy slash drama. And I, 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 I you know, it, it does toe the line fairly well. It's like 60% comedy, 40% drama. Um, and, the first two thirds of the movie are actually exceeded my expectations of what this film was going to deliver. I was like, Oh, this is a little more smart and a little more realistic than I expected this movie to be. And then the last third of the film, it was exactly the film that I expected it to be. It got ridiculous. There's some, some hijinks and, uh, it just ended up being okay. So, uh, I can't say it was disappointing because it was exactly, you know, at the end it was exactly what I expected it to be. Just the beginning kind of got me looking forward to it delivering more than what I ended up getting. Uh, there was great performance by uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr., uh, Ice Cube's son, plays Seth Rogen's best friend, and uh, uh, he was good. Uh, one of the things that really like annoys me, one of the characters that was in it that was really unnecessary was a character played by Andy Serkis and I can't put my finger on what it is about Andy Serkis that bugs me but Andy Serkis really bugs me I mean his 
not his performances, mind you, uh, but you, just him himself. I mean, he's very he he's been somewhat self-important about how CG performances should get their own separate Oscar nominations, and I kind of disagree. Uh, and I also, I, I mean, but if someone else was lobbying for it, I think it would have a little bit more credence. But Andy Serkis does CG perf- performances in so many films that, like, he's basically lobbying for, for them to create a category for him to eventually win. But he plays a character in this film that he's in heavy makeup. Uh, he plays an older, you know, uh, publishing tycoon. And it's just, it's annoying and over the top. And I'm just like, you could have just got an older actor to play. It was a stupid stud to have Andy Serkis play him. And other than to have Andy Serkis play someone. And, you know, I thought he was really good as Ulysses Claw in Black Panther last year. He, he played a good villain because I, I do think that uh, Andy Serkis is a little bit despicable, but I just, it, it was distracting. Uh, I mean, they did decent enough job with the makeup, but they could have just gotten an older actor to play the role. So, uh, yeah, that, that was annoying, but yeah. So I guess I would give overall, I would give long shot probably, probably a seven out of 10. The next film I saw was Paddleton, which is a Netflix original film. Uh, it stars Mark Duplass and Ray Romano. Uh, it's pretty, pretty, low-key drama. It's a, it's a buddy drama. Um, uh, Mark Duplass and Ray Romano play guys who are neighbors who are also friends. It's clear that they spend a lot of their free time, probably most of their free time with each other, watching kung fu movies and playing uh, racquetball. Like, they, they go for walks and then, you know, play it outside against old dilapidated walls and then Mark Duplass's character finds out that he has cancer, that he's not going to survive. So he decides he is going to take some take some pills that will help him end his life painlessly. Um, you know, it's a prescription that he gets. Uh, the I don't remember what state they're living in, but you know, it's a thing that's legal. And he asks uh, Ray Romano for his help, and it's just kind of about like their last weekend spending time together and it, it, it sounds depressing and it is a little bit, but not as much as the premise might sound. Um, if you're familiar with the work of the, the Duplass brothers, it's along the lines of, um, the, the, the sort of dry comedy, uh, slash drama that they're known for. Um, solid performances from both the guys, uh, Mark Duplass co-wrote the, the screenplay. And, uh, there was a, it, there's a small role played by Kadeem Hardison, who a lot of people will know. He played Dwayne Wayne on the sitcom A Different World. It was cool to see him. Uh, he plays the guy who works at the pharmacy that um, that the guys bump into, go to when they're trying to fill that prescription, and then he pops up later in the film. But it's really, uh, you know, it's it's a, it's a film. It's a it's an ode to. Uh, male friendship and yeah, it's an enjoyable film. Uh, another, another solid dramatic performance from Ray Romano. It's funny. I was never a fan of everyone loves Raymond, the TV show, but, uh, most of the stuff I've seen Ray Romano do in the last decade, 
which has mostly been dramatic acting, I, I've really enjoyed, and I, I kind of feel like he's, uh, people should use him more. He's a really solid actor, and uh, yeah, I like him. I, you know, I'd give Paddleton a 7 out of 10. It's certainly not going to be for everyone. Uh, it's, you know, it's 90 minutes. Actually, it's 89 minutes, so it, it it's not too much of a commitment, but if you're, if you're looking for something to watch on Netflix and you like your comedies somewhat depressing, uh, yeah, give it a, give it a watch. And then the last film that I watched was, uh, Dogfight, uh, from 1991. It was, um, later in River Phoenix's career. Uh, you know, he, he, he passed away in 1993. So it was one of the last films that was released while he was alive, but, uh, it's he and Lily Taylor and, um, takes place in the in the early 60s in San Francisco. Premises River Phoenix is one of a group of four Marines uh, on leave, or, you know, they, they have a, a R&R night, and they're out on the town in San Francisco, and they decide to have a dog fight, which is, they set up a, a dance, an elaborate dance, but the, there's each of the, each of the jarheads, as they refer to themselves, throws in 75 bucks and whoever can can bring the ugliest girl as their date you know they all vote and uh whoever whoever wins gets gets the pool of money and so lily taylor is river phoenix's date and you know she 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 learns about what the you know because the women are not in on it's a, you know, it's guys being assholes, uh, something that guys are good at. And so she hears about it and understandably gets upset and confronts River Phoenix about it. And then it's about, uh, they, they, they spend the rest of the night together. They have a, he, he wants to make it up to her and it's sort of about, a a budding, is, you know, it, it is a romance, but it's more about a connection between two people and, you know, really solid lived in performances by both River Phoenix and Lily Taylor. Uh, the end of the movie, it kind of it goes awry um, once they leave the present and then his character goes to Vietnam and then comes back. The, the coda of the film, the last 10 minutes or so are kind of unnecessary and heavy handed, but, uh, it's got their little commentary on the Vietnam war. Um, two, two performances of note, uh, Holly near, who is a very well-known folk singer, uh, plays Lily Taylor's mother in this. And I don't know that I've seen her in anything else. She's primarily known as a musician, but uh, she gives a solid performance. And, and this film is Brendan Fraser's very first film. Uh, I had seen this movie years ago and didn't notice him. I mean, I probably saw Doug dog fight definitely not in 1991. Cause I saw it on home video. I was working at blockbuster video at the time and I, I rented it. Uh, I know the river Phoenix was still alive when I saw it. So it must've been 92 or early 93 that I saw it and, you know, would have had no idea who Brendan Fraser was. So I am going to post the picture of him from that as well. Cause it was interesting to see him. He plays a, um, uh, a, a Navy, uh, a, a shoreman? I, I don't know what the term is, but he plays a guy from the Navy. And, you know, the, the Marines refer to them 
uh, pejoratively as squids. But, uh, yeah, he's in that too. So that was kind of fun to see him. But, uh, yeah, I would say it definitely feels a little dated. I mean, obviously it takes place in the 60s, but it definitely feels like a movie made in the 90s. But it's certainly a, a worthwhile watch. One of the better films in River Phoenix's Au revoir. Um, yeah, I would give Dogfight a 7 out of 10. So, yeah, those were the movies that I saw this week. I appreciate everyone listening, and I will talk to you again soon. Bye.